Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Corology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Corology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 55. Forgiveness, by its very nature, it costs a lot. I don't think you can have forgiveness that is free or even cheap. It requires sacrifice. And if you look at church history, it's the sacrifice of those who have counted up the cost that have created the most radical changes in the church. Joel Hollier is a former Australian pastor who was a prominent voice teaching that queer people must follow a life of celibacy. Uh, He's gay himself, uh, and through many years of prayerful discernment, revisiting the Bible, discovering new ways of thinking, Joel's mind on the topic was changed. Uh, And today he's passionate about helping people see that their identity is most beautifully captured when we see ourselves as children of God, and that being an LGBTQ person can be a glorious part of this beauty. Joel lives in Sydney, Australia. He has degrees in social work uh, and in theology, uh, and he's currently working on completing a PhD on the vital place of LGBTQ people within the evangelical church. I'm so excited to have Joel on the podcast today. We're talking about the state of, of LGBTQ people and the church in Australia, uh, and then we get into a really good conversation about forgiveness. Uh, I had chills as I was going back and editing this. Uh, before we dive in, uh, like, oh my gosh, it was so much fun to meet everyone uh, at Spirit Pride this weekend in Victoria uh, and Vancouver. To everyone who came out, thank you uh, to the people who put together Spirit Pride this weekend. Like, oh my gosh. Um I walked away so encouraged uh, in, in these spaces. Uh it, it was just a it was just a blast uh, to be with y'all. Some exciting news. Uh, both my keynote, uh, and then more importantly, uh, the the panel uh, that I facilitated, we actually recorded that as an episode of Quirology. Uh, so live recorded, that's going to be released next week as an episode. It's going to be a long form episode. Uh, we had really good conversation around spiritual gifts uh, and the spiritual gifts of queer people. Uh, with some some great panelists. Uh, I'm so excited to let y'all hear that. Uh, alongside that, as a bonus episode next week, I'm going to release my keynote. Uh, so if you're interested in listening to that, that will be coming out next week alongside uh, the regular episode as as a fun little bonus. Woohoo! <laughs> okay, that's it. Uh, let's Let's go ahead and dive in. 
Joel, hi, welcome. Hello, it's nice to actually meet you. Likewise, yeah, I'm so excited to have you join me today. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here. It's fantastic. So, so to start, uh, this is a question I ask everyone. Uh, but how would you say that you identify, uh, and how has your faith helped form that identity? Yeah. Um, you really jump straight into the big ones, don't yeah. we? <laughs> it's the way to do it, I guess. You've got 45 minutes. Yep. Just don't beat around the bush. We're in. Um, how would I identify and how has my faith shaped that identity? Um, yeah, I guess, well, look, we're on a, a queerology podcast. So I think, you know, my, my first thought is um, I identify as a gay man. Um, that would be uh, one of my kind of key identifiers in this world at the moment. Um, I, but I think when I think about myself, um, there's so many other layers that are going on at the same time. Um, often before I get to gay man. Um, so, for example, uh, I have uh, two nieces and two nephews. So I love being an uncle. They are the most adorable things in my world. Um, don't get to see them all that often, but I love to spoil them. So an, an uncle, I guess, uh, and a family member. Um, I, I'm very close with my parents um, and increasingly close in the past couple of years, which has been lovely. Um, and I think above all of that, I've always identified as a Christian, um, and that has taken different shapes over time. But um, a Jesus follower, I guess you'd say. Um, yeah, someone who uh, seeks to, in some way or other, in a crazy, disoriented, distorted world, place my hope in the figure of Jesus. Um, yeah, that, that would be, I, I guess, the, the key things in my world at the moment. And yeah, my identity has changed quite radically over the past year, I would say. Um, and we might get to that at some point. Um, but yeah, right now, at this snapshot of time that that's what i would say how has my faith shaped that um look for so long um i was terrified of identifying as a gay man um that was uh not just a scary thought that was a repulsive thought for me uh, it was a thought that was mutually exclusive with my christian faith and so for me to ever say i am gay that was tantamount to me saying I no longer want any part with my Christian faith. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, I guess it's that interaction between my identity as a Christian and my identity as a gay man. Those two things in conflict have shaped the way that I see the world and I think about myself and I think about myself in the world. Um, yeah, it's only been the last couple of years that I've been able to reconcile the two. Yeah. Cause I mean, I was like, I was kind of flipping through your blog a little bit before we, before we jumped on. Um, and yeah. it, and it, it looks like it's been roughly a year since you've like fully come out and yes. in that process, like you, you were a pastor, right. And you kind of left your church and yep. like, it sounds like there was a lot that happened when you came out. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, I was a pastor. I, I love being a pastor and I, I'm not currently a, a pastor of a church, but that's where my heart is. Um, and I, I was pastor of a phenomenal community, a really beautiful community of incredible people who 
they were uh, they were fun. They were enlivening. They were uh, really wrestling with the Bible. Um, and one day, I just said, "I, I, I can't do this anymore." Um, and uh, I, I shot myself in the foot in some ways. I, I handed in my resignation and uh, told them, "Look, this is what I think about sexuality and theology." Um, the the gatekeepers of that community are very closed, um, not not willing to come to the table at all in terms of discussion, and so I just lost everything straight away. Um, one fell swoop. Um, yeah, the the community that I had worked so hard to uh, build and be a part of, uh, that door just shut in my face. Um, I lost my house. I lost my job. Um, it, it kind of just a, a big reset button on my life um, overnight. And um, yeah, that that community w- was quite formative for me in bit in my um, in my faith. Like I I, I love that people and I still do um, I still have a great place in my heart for them this year has been one of grieving I guess um, and, and it's a it's a funny mix of feeling for the first time in so many years free and free to uh, worship Jesus um, with integrity uh, but at the same time follow Jesus with grief and recognizing that my life has changed and the things that I love doing, the the role that I see myself in as a pastor, that that's not who I am. So had you asked me uh, a year and two weeks ago how I identified, um, one of my first things would be as a pastor of a church, um, somebody who leads a flock of, of God's people here on earth. Um, that's that's where my heart is. That's what I love doing. Uh, and at the moment, that's that's not what I can do. I, I don't have that opportunity in a church context. I don't get to preach and uh, like and sit with people and just read the Bible. Um, and I, I do miss that immensely. Um, and it's it's because of my sexuality, um, something which is so far beyond my choice. Tell me, like, tell me more about that grief because I think like that's something that. I think I've talked to talked about a little bit on this podcast with a couple different people, but something that I don't think we highlight nearly enough of like that that grieving process of what Ooh. happens when we come out. Like because when we come out is like that there's it's liberating, but we also lose a whole lot. And like for you, you lost your vocation and it's something that you're so passionate about. Like what, what has that been like kind of walking through the loss that has come with living authentically? Mm, yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I, I was a social worker in a past life working with victims of trauma. Um, and so all of our work was very trauma informed grief and loss models. Um, and I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would apply it to myself um, but lo and behold, um, this time last year, I, I lost so much of the, the world that I love. Um, I come at this almost in a mechanistic way and say for every loss, I have to have an opposite and equal grief response mechanism. 
So when I lose something, whatever that is, there has to be some sort of grief response. If I, if I don't have that grief response, that's when I have alarm bells. So it could be as simple as uh, my car breaks down um, and I have a loss of freedom and independence because of that. I should get angry. And that, that's my grief response mechanism at that point. That, that is a healthy thing. Like I, I, that's a right response. Um, apply that to a whole range of other things. I, I lose my job. Rightly, I get sad. Um, I lose my community. Rightly, I feel lonely and isolated and foreign. Um, I lose the passion that drove me for so long Rightly, I feel confused and frustrated and wandering. And that's all part of what I have come to see is, is my grief response as I actually work through all this. Um, I, I put off coming out for so long uh, because I knew that it would just be a grenade going off in my world. Um, and I, I was almost, I could say, genuinely happy that all the time before I came out, like I, I was quite content. Um, I, I, uh, I know that sounds quite radical in a lot of the, um, the queer world and in the space that we inhabit. Um, but for so much of the time, I was just really enjoying life. <laughs> it, it wasn't a bad life. I had amazing friends. I had amazing family. I had community around me. Um, and, and I was, um, yeah, I, I was fairly happy with that. What for me was really hard was watching the people around me. At the time, I was teaching a traditional sexual ethic. Um, uh, now, I look back on that and you know, it, it, I'm dumbfounded that I could ever believe that and teach that. Um, but yeah, that, that's what it was at that time. That's kind of the, the place that I found myself at. Um, and I was looking around at the people in my life who were gay and just watching how much they were struggling. Um, so uh, I, I saw some mixed orientation marriages fall through. Um, I saw uh, people with hugely um, worrying states of depression and anxiety. Um, there was uh, a, a family friend who took his life um, at the beginning of last year um, who was gay um, had grown up in conservative Christian world. Um, and for me, I, I looked around at all that, and where, whereas I was, I was fairly content, um, to be honest, in, in kind of my position and my sexuality just to, to remain in the closet for that, that period. Um, but I, I just couldn't teach it any longer. Um, as a pastor, I felt a burden to care for people and I knew that what I was teaching was not caring for people. It was inflicting damage. It was causing harm. And I actually had to take that responsibility on myself and say, can I keep teaching this? Can I hold to this sexual ethic? And, and uh, over the course of a few years, having read and opened myself up to affirming literature, I got to the point where I, I couldn't with integrity teach that. And so I had to turn around and apologize to so many people. Um, so yeah, there was kind of this liberating moment where I said, yep, I'm out. I'm, I can be myself. Um, but the flip side of that was this grief. Um, it was this recognition that I've lost so much. 
Um, and I had, um, I had a good standing in a lot of the Christian community in Australia. Um, I uh, had a lot of people's respect. I was on a career trajectory that lots of people were watching, excited for a new up-and-coming pastor who would be a leader in the church. Um, and I, I pulled the plug on all that, uh, and that threw me quite substantially. So this past year, I would say, has been, I think I wrote in my blog, uh, the best year of my life and the worst year of my life um, simultaneously. Um, there have been such low lows, um, which is not what the typical narrative is when it says when people say you know, they came out and the world all fell in place and you know their their life was able to uh, move forward after being on hold for so long. Um, in some ways, I feel like I pressed the pause button on my life, um, and, and I sit with that and I say that's okay. Um, that uh, that's okay at the, at this moment at this point in time where I'm at. Um, I, I have to recognize that I, I have lost things and I have to grieve that there will be joy to come. Um, and, and I recognize that it, it will come. Um, and I have experienced so much joy this year in uh, the, the people who have accepted me. Um, they, they've been fewer than I would have hoped, uh, but they've been beautiful. Um, they've opened their doors and said, no, we... We bring you in. You can be one of us. Um, and and that, that's been an amazing journey as well. I'm, I'm curious, kind of as you're, as you're sharing the story and talking about it, like, um, like you're Australian. I'm sure everyone has figured that out by now. This the accent. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm curious what it's because, like, I mean, a lot of people, for my context, like I came out within a U.S. context, um, and I and I know what it's like to come out in the church and what the church context is like here. And and in some yes. ways, like it sounds like Australia is is similar, but in other ways, it sounds like it's very different. Um, so I'd be curious if you could maybe talk about that a little bit. Um, what yes. is the church culture like in Australia, especially for people who are queer? Yes, interestingly, and. Serendipitously, I, I'm not sure. I came out of my um, church role, and then about two months later, we were thrown as a nation headlong into the gay marriage debate. And so, for us, that meant a nationwide survey in which everybody was asked to pitch in. Um, now, that is never a good idea. <laughs> I, I don't know who came up with that legislation, but <laughs> it was it was torture. It was tumultuous. And the number of um, the LGBT community who came to me during that time, just in tears and in tatters, uh, just being blown about uh, was horrendous. And all of them were Christians. Um, and all of them, their... their um, their world was colliding because the church had dug its feet in so hard and had to in some senses um, because it felt under attack. Uh, the The church in Australia hasn't had dialogue. It, it hasn't been engaged in a process of conversation on a broader scale. So we have a... a, a 
denomination, the Uniting Church, they have had beautiful dialogue. Um, they're the minority. Um, in Australia, and particularly in Sydney, which is the largest city and the most religious city, um, and also religiously the most conservative city, that, that's where I am, um, no other denomination has had any sort of discernment process. And so to throw a national debate into that context, the church was caught off guard and its knee-jerk reaction was to say no and a really firm no. Um, so for my denomination, I'm part of the Anglican denomination, which is very different to Episcopal in the States. Um, that's kind of their, their sister church, but Anglican in Sydney is very conservative, um, very, very traditional. Um, uh, the instant response from the Anglican diocese was to don donate a million dollars to the, it was called the No Campaign, um, that is against marriage equality. Um, so automatically we have a polarization between society, which now has gay marriage that went through and it was legalized, uh, and the church, which is overwhelmingly against. Um, I think the, uh, the hard part of the context that I'm in at the moment is how far behind we are in so much of the dialogue. So I'm, I'm watching across at you guys looking at the states and reading all this literature that's coming out and has been coming out for 20, 30 years and it's a rich literature. It's, it's dialogue that's grounded in Bible and faith and witness of the church. Um, whereas in Australia, we, we simply don't have that kind of literature being produced. Um, partly that's sheerly down to numbers. We're a small country. Um, we, we have a, a lot of land, but not that many people. And so we just don't have the, the minds that are putting that work in. Um, but partly it's also a, a conservative heritage, which is really strong um, and, and particularly coming out of the Sydney Anglican sphere, they have a lot of sway both within the church across Australia and politically. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the GAFCON movement. Um, this is kind of what's been taking place in the last two weeks in my world. Um, GAFCON stands for Global Anglican Future Conference. And it's, it's essentially established by Sydney Anglicans, Sydney Christians, who want to reform the Anglican and Episcopal Church uh, in a conservative way. So they want to take away any chance for... Uh, gay marriage. Um, they want to make sure that the church can never bless that. Um, so they've come out with statements like um, none of their clergy are to say any prayers for gay couples. Um, they've, they've just assembled 2,000 people in Jerusalem to try and schism almost the Anglican communion to make sure that their voices heard to say, we will not go down this route. Um, and they're, they're my friends. Like they're, they're the people that I love. Um, and they're holding this so strongly, not just at a personal conviction level, but they're taking it public. They're taking it global. And 
some of our Sydney Christian leaders have taken it upon themselves to become the global leaders against equality in this sphere. Um, that, that blows my mind. <laughs> I think, wow, we're really punching above our weight in the conservative sphere. Um, <laughs> uh, meanwhile, there's you know, me with my blog and a few, a few friends around me who are attempting to make a splash in the water. Um, but boy, it's hard. Boy, it's hard. Um, yeah tell gosh tell tell like tell me more about like i mean because you're you're trying to combat this like you and a few other people um i know there are a ton of people who listen to this podcast in australia um mm. tell me about like what that like resistance movement looks like and what you're yeah. trying to do and what others are trying to do to enter to to bring some dialogue to Mm. this topic it's been really exciting the past year to see some dialogue starting to happen um i think i'll start on a small scale for me i'm celebrating little wins at the moment um my parents have backflipped on their conservative theology and they've become my number one biggest supporters which is incredible they went from a very conservative traditional pardon me, they went from a very conservative traditional perspective to uh, being really excited about my life as part of the LGBT communities um, so that like that's a small conversation that's taken place i'm meeting up with pastors almost regu- almost weekly to to say hey i'm here what are you going to do about me like, can, can we have this dialogue? So that's kind of the, the one-on-ones that I've been having. But at the same time, uh, grassroots movements have started to really take shape. So we have a, an organization called Equal Voices that um, Steph and I co-chair the Sydney branch of. Um, it's a, a national grassroots movement. And this year, it has actually become national, which is exciting. We have branches right across Australia, uh, which is tough because as a landmass, we're so large, but uh, we're able to communicate different ways. And uh, we've actually been able to mobilize, uh, yeah, whole groups of people. One of our key things at the moment for that is we have an apology that we're asking people to sign up to, um, to put their names on, to say, yes, we have done harm in the past and we need to do this better. Um, Equal Voices has a an arm where we're in political advocacy, advocacy um, looking at gay conversion therapy um, and sexual orientation change efforts, looking at how we actually put that through legislation to uh, regulate that. Um, we have a resource development arm that's attempting to, as I say, like build up a resource base for Australia, and that's that's kind of slowly ticking away. Um, so that's kind of the trying to get the, the conversation happening. It's slow and it's hard work. Um, we're, um, yeah, we're in a lot of ways banging our heads against the wall, but then you start to see some fruit. Uh, you start to hear of pastors who aren't convinced of the traditional ethic. Um, you start to see cracks appearing in people's theologies and 
that's where we pounce. That's where we say, hey, look, there's something beautiful here that we want to show you. Uh, there's something incredible about the gay community and there's something stunning about LGBT Christians, which you're just missing out on, um, which if you're so close to this, you're the one who loses in the end. And, and so uh, we're starting to see some of those conversations take place. Uh, and that that's exciting. Um, but slow. And I'll, I'll just keep saying that, like those conversations are happening, but they're slow. Um, I guess alongside of that, we're attempting to look after those people who are in some ways refugees from the uh, the church at the moment. Um, so I can't tell you the number of people who I'm in text conversations with, catching up with for coffee and beer and uh, just getting frustrated with as they try and work out what it means to be gay in this context. Um, the conversations are happening, but slowly. I mean, I would imagine the amount of maybe frustration, like, cause I'm, cause I'm thinking about like, again, that, that does sound at least somewhat similar to a lot of what's happening here yeah. and like how frustrating it is to have so much against you and so like your churches that you love and people that you know just come up against you in such harsh ways um and and I, i'm i'm curious because like you you recently wrote on your blog about the idea of forgiveness mm. um and and kind of issuing a call even to queer people of faith to practice forgiveness um especially especially mm. towards people who are hurting us. Yes. Um, and like, it, it made me think of a video that I watched actually just a couple days ago with a, a pastor named Nadia Boltzweber, um, who, who was talking about forgiveness and, and was wondering mm. like what she says, like what if forgiveness rather than being a pansy way of saying it's okay is actually a way of wielding bolt cutters and snapping the chain that links us um, mm. to, to these people who are hurting us. Um, and, and you kind of talk about that too in your blog post. And I'm, and I'm curious, mm. tell, tell me more about that. How do you, how do yes. you see forgiveness? Interesting. I, I would never have thought of forgiveness as pansy. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> um, to me, forgiveness is not weak. It's not being walked over. It's not, uh, it's not the idea of being pushed around or letting others get their way. Um, for me, forgiveness is a powerful act of reconciliation and resistance all merged into one. Forgiveness is the act of looking at pain and saying something has to happen about this pain. You have hurt me. That, that has happened. It's, it's, it's a real thing. One of us has to absorb that pain. One of us has to absorb that punishment. Um, forgiveness is, is the intentional act of saying, I will absorb that pain without any ramification coming onto you. And in that, we actually have the chance to build a path forward together. Now, I think the reason that that is so painful, and I know this uh, to an extent, other people know this far more, is that we've already been through so much pain. We've already copped so much. We've been 
beaten, we've been bruised, we've been hurt over and over and over again. It gets to this point where we say, how much more forgiveness are we expected to offer? How much more are we actually able to give out? Um, At some point, it just becomes damaging to us. Um, And I, I turn around and I look at Jesus on the cross, and I think, yeah, wow, that's that's so true. Um, it's it's beating, it's bruising, it's painful, it's humiliating, uh, and yet Jesus turns around and offers forgiveness. Um, now we can look at that and say how weak um, he's just letting people walk over him and control him, um, or we can look at that and say, wow, he. He's seeing something that I actually can't see at the moment. Um, He's seeing a path forward for humanity. Um, He's seeing a movement that resists chains because the chains just fall off. They don't hold in the first place. Um, He's seeing a movement that has the power to actually embrace justice uh, and bring that radical Jesus into the sphere of reconciliation. Um, now that, to me, is uh, it's a flood of grace that nobody can stand against. That um, in the in the long run, I think that that's the only way that we can win this. Um, we can we can fight tooth and nails, everything that we've got. We can put all our energy into bringing down the evangelical stronghouses. But I think that actually doesn't achieve what Jesus set out to achieve. Um, That doesn't actually scream to this world, we are a people who bring grace and truth and light. Um, Anyone can seek vengeance. Um, That's kind of the, the easy route. But to say, you've caused me pain, now... How can I take that pain on me and how can we together seek to make this world a better place? It's a totally different framework. So for me, how that's played out at the moment, um, a a few examples. Um, One is my pastor at the moment. He doesn't hold an affirming theology. Um, He's a really gracious guy but would not hold that any kind of gay relationship is uh, is part of God's plan, um, that, that hurts for me um, to even know that he thinks that about me or about my loved ones. Uh, but for me, I have said, okay, well, I'm going to meet with you for coffee and we're just going to keep talking about this. I'm not going to let this one slide. Um, for another friend I met up with last week, we'd been friends for so many years um, and we raised the idea of me ever getting a boyfriend and he said, he would have to try and decide whether or not to be happy if I was to have a boyfriend. Um, and uh, after years of being friends, I thought, well, you know, why does that even have to be a question? Um, that to me would sound fairly obvious that you, you should find joy in that. Um, he said a number of things that were just really hurtful. Um, that they caused pain and opened up old wounds. Uh, I, I wanted at that point to kind of shut that conversation and walk away from that friendship. Um, but instead I asked him how I could help him see the gay community in a different light. And we walked away from that conversation with him admitting that 
he didn't know enough to make a judgment call. Um, and, and, and my prayer is that he would, um, he would sit with that conviction um, and meet with me again and read the Bible and open up to new ways of thinking. Um, I think this, this act of forgiveness, uh, it's fundamentally a disarming act. Um, it's, a, it's an act which I think we're in a unique position to offer. Um, now, the church at large isn't going to rush out to seek our forgiveness. Um, so often they don't even recognize that they have caused harm. So for us who are in positions of pain, um, to then turn around and say, we adopt a posture where we're willing to have an audience with you, that is grace upon grace. Um, that is Christ playing out, playing out in our lives. Um, and that's, that's the interpersonal act of forgiveness. That says nothing of the internal world within us when we actually are willing to say, I forgive you. But that is also an incredibly powerful act, um, the intrapersonal psyche of someone who says, I forgive you. But I think that that reconciliation interpersonal act is just so powerful because it does. It counters hate with love. It counters pain with reconciliation. It counters darkness with light. It, it, it does all that. Um, and it, it's an act of sacrifice, ultimately. You, you used the language of like absorbing pain, taking pain on. Um, mm. And like as I hear that language, I, I feel myself kind of bristle at that a little bit um because yeah. like that that in some ways sounds so unhealthy to like take pain on and it sounds like it could make someone sick in a way but mm. it sounds like you're talking about maybe something a little bit different than that and and mm. i'm curious if you could maybe expound on that a little bit more i think the hard part here is that we're talking about messy relationships um, that are just never clean never clear cut um i uh i recognize i've been I, I think I, I'm lucky or blessed, whatever you want to call it, in that I have a fairly optimistic temperament. God's just given me that. Um, and so I, I'm hopeful for humans that will be able to find a way kind of through this. Um, I think what's been growing in me has been a sense of self-awareness where I've got to the point where I can say, yeah, this, this relationship is causing me pain, but I can take it. Other relationships I recognize are toxic um, and a posture of forgiveness is vital, but recognizing that that person may not come to the table actually gives us a way to say this toxic relationship isn't healthy. This isn't what is good for me. It isn't what is good for you. And I think we have every right to close that door and say, I can't keep going with this friendship right now or with this community this relationship i i have to close this door because it's actually causing me harm and i'm doing everything that i can to mitigate that harm but there comes a time where for our own health we need to shut that door now that, that i think needs to be said over and over and over again and i think um you know the, the literature that we read the blogs that we read that that message is getting through really well um, and i'm excited for that because it means that we as LGBT P 
people of faith. We're caring for ourselves. We're caring for one another. Um, and we're doing that with the hopes to care for the world. Um, I, I guess what I would want to add to that is we do that with a posture which says, if you want to take up my offer of forgiveness, it's there. Um, forgiveness by its very nature, it costs a lot. I don't think you can have forgiveness that is free or even cheap, that it requires sacrifice. Um, and if you look at church history, uh, it's the sacrifice of those who have counted up the cost that have created the most radical changes in the church um, that have shaped it in the most profound ways to make it beautiful. Um, that, that's the, the bigness of forgiveness. Um, now, none of that minimizes the fact that some wounds are just really fresh um, or too large and they take time to work through. And we need to work through that in community and with people and be careful and be seeking healing in that. Um, but I, I don't know, in my walk, I've always just come back to this idea that these people who hurt me don't know what they're doing ultimately. Uh, they, they don't realize what they're inflicting. They, they can't see that I am beautifully made in the image of God and that one day they will actually have to give an account for their actions. Um, and so I want to turn around and say as loud as I can, um, you're hurting me, please stop. You're really causing me pain. I, I can't take this much longer, but if you will come to the table, I want to have a path forward. Um, and that's, that's the world of Jesus, I think. Somehow in his divine nature, he does that. Now, I know for a fact that I can't do that on my own. That's <laughs> I know for a fact that I am far too human to offer that forgiveness to people. Um, but I trust that by God's grace, um, over time, I can do that. Um, and I, yeah, I think as I say it, I struggle to say those words. Um, as I think about it more and more, same reaction as you, like I, I bristle against it. Uh, what have they done to deserve me coming to the table? But then at the same time, I just keep getting drawn back to it. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's liberating and it's wound healing and it's chain breaking and it's slave freeing and it's a radical embrace of the path of Jesus. Um, and I, I trust his path, I guess. I mean, that, that makes me think of one other thing that, that Nadia said in this video. She says, forgiveness is about being a freedom fighter mm. and free people are dangerous people. Um, mm. And it's such a, that, that is it's such like a beautiful vision of like, as you say, like what, what I think Jesus calls us to do in the world and like the way that Jesus works in the world. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, so, so maybe to wrap up, um, and this, this is shifting a little bit, but like how, for people who, 
are, are both in Australia. How can people in Australia get in touch with you and join in the community that you're, that you're gathering? Um, mm. And then also how can, how can everyone else find you? Like, yeah, I would encourage people who are allies who are, who are LGBT and Christian to look at equalvoices.com um, to check that out. Um, get on board. We have meetings uh, roughly once a month in our Sydney branch, but they're happening all across Australia. That's, that's one area that I'd want people to go to. Um, I have a blog that's up and running, BibleFaithSexuality.com. That's a place that, um, yeah, plenty of people are coming in and approaching me through that. Um, at Joel Holly are my um, social media handles. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to hear from people in Australia, share stories. Um, I'm passionate about gathering people together. That's what I'm loving doing at the moment, gathering people together to to share perspectives, to share stories, whether they're uh, traditional in their theology or affirming, um, just to to move that dialogue forward into the next stage. Um, because I think that that's probably where we're at. We're at a stage where we can actually really push this dialogue forward. Yeah. Uh, Joel, it's been such a pleasure. You also. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, and, and best to you as you continue on this work. Thanks very much, and thanks for all the work you do. It's so appreciated. Thank you. You can find out more about Joel and his Bible Faith Sexuality Project at BibleFaithSexuality.com. Joel's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Joel Hollier, H-O-L-L-I-E-R. And to find out more about Equal Voices in Australia, head over to EqualVoices.org.au. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from Natalie England, Christian Hayes, Tim Schrader, and over 70 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support Queerology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support Queerology is by leaving a rating or a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.